Section 20 of Around the World on a Bicycle, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sudeshna. Around the World on a Bicycle, Volume 1 by Thomas Stevens. Chapter 8, Part 3. My route today is a continuation of the abandoned macadam road, the weed-covered stones of which I have frequently found acceptable in tiding me over places where the ordinary dirt road was deep with mud. In spite of its long-neglected condition, occasional rideable stretches are encountered, but every bridge and culvert has been destroyed, and an honest shepherd not far from Hafsa, who from a neighbouring knoll observes me wheeling down a long declivity toward one of those uncovered waterways, nearly shouts himself hoarse, and gesticulates most frantically in an effort to attract my attention to the danger ahead. Soon after this I am the innocent cause of two small pack-mules, heavily laden with merchandise, attempting to bolt from their driver, who is walking behind. One of them actually succeeds in escaping, and although his pack is too heavy to admit of running at any speed, he goes awkwardly jogging across the rolling plains, as though uncertain in his own mind of whether he is acting sensibly or not. But his companion in pack slavery is less fortunate, since he tumbles into a gully, bringing up flat on his broad and top-heavy pack, with his legs frantically pawing the air. Stopping to assist the driver in getting the collapsed mule on his feet again, this individual demands damages for the accident. So I judge at least from the frequency of the word Majedi, as he angrily yet ruefully points to the mud-begrimed pack and unhappy, yet withal laughter-provoking, attitude of the mule. But I utterly fail to see any reasonable connection between the uncalled-for scariness of his mules and the contents of my pocket-book especially since I was riding along the Sultan's ancient and deserted macadam, while he and his mules were patronizing a separate and distinct dirt road alongside. As he seems far more concerned about obtaining a money satisfaction from me than the rescue of the mule from his topsy-turvy position, I feel perfectly justified after several times indicating my willingness to assist him in leaving him and proceeding on my way. The Adyanopol plains are a dreary expanse of undulating grazing land, traversed by small sloughs and their adjacent cultivated areas. Along this route it is without trees, and the villages one comes to at intervals of eight or ten miles are shapeless clusters of mud, straw-hashed hearts, out of the midst of which, perchance, arises the tapering minaret of a small mosque, this minaret being, of course, the first indication of a village in the distance. Between Adrianopol and Eskibaba, the town I reach for the night, are three villages in one of which I approach a Turkish private house for a drink of water, and surprise the women with faces unveiled. Upon seeing my countenance peering in the doorway, they one and all give utterance to little screams of dismay, and dart like frightened fawns into an adjoining room. When the men appear to see what is up, they show no signs of resentment at my abrupt intrusion. But one of them follows the women into the room, and loud angry words seem to indicate that they are being soundly berated for allowing themselves to be thus caught. This does not prevent the women from reappearing the next minute, however, with their faces veiled behind the orthodox yashmak, and through its one permissible opening satisfying the feminine curiosity, critically surveying me and my strange vehicle. Four men follow me on horseback out of this village, 
presumably to see what use I make of the machine. At least I cannot otherwise account for the honour of their unpleasantly close attentions. Close inasmuch as they keep their horses' noses almost against my back, in spite of sundry subterfuges to shake them off. When I stop they do likewise, and when I start again they deliberately follow, altogether too near to be comfortable. They are, all four, rough-looking peasants, and their object is quite unaccountable, unless they are doing it for pure cussedness, or perhaps with some vague idea of provoking me into doing something that would offer them the excuse of attacking and robbing me. The road is sufficiently lonely to invite some such attention. If they are only following me to see what I do with the bicycle, they return but little enlightened, since they see nothing but trundling and an occasional scraping off of mud. At the end of about two miles, whatever their object, they give it up. Several showers occur during the afternoon, and the distance travelled has been short and unsatisfactory, when just before dark I arrive at Eskibaba, where I am agreeably surprised to find a mehana, the proprietor of which is a reasonably mannered individual. Since getting into Turkey proper, reasonably mannered people have seemed wonderfully scarce, the majority seeming to be most boisterous and headstrong. Next to the bicycle, the Turks of these interior villages seem to exercise their minds the most concerning whether I have a passport. As I enter Eskibaba, a gendarme standing at the police barrack gates shouts after me to halt and produce passport. Exhibiting my passport at almost every village is getting monotonous, and as I am going to remain here at least overnight, I ignore the gendarme's challenge and wheel on to the Mehana. Two gendarmes are soon on the spot inquiring if I have a passport, but upon learning that I am going no farther today, they do not take the trouble to examine it, the average Turkish official religiously believing in never doing anything today that can be put off till tomorrow. The natives of a Turkish interior village are not over-intimate with newspapers, and are in consequence profoundly ignorant, having little conception of anything save what they have been familiar with, and surrounded by all their lives and the appearance of the bicycle is indeed a strange visitation, something entirely beyond their comprehension. The Mehana is crowded by a wildly gesticulating and loudly commenting and arguing crowd of Turks and Christians all the evening. Although there seems to be quite a large proportion of native unbelievers in Eskibaba, there is not a single female visible on the streets this evening, and from observations next day I judge it to be a conservative Muslim village where the Turkish women, besides keeping themselves veiled with orthodox strictness, seldom go abroad, and the women who are not Mohammedan, imbibing something of the retiring spirit of the dominant race, also keep themselves well in the background. A round score of dogs, great and small, and in all possible conditions of miserableness, congregate in the main street of Eskibaba at eventide, waiting with hungry-eyed expectancy for any morsel of food or offal that may peradventure find its way within their reach. The Turks, to their credit be it said, never abuse dogs, but every male Christian in Eskibaba seems to consider himself in duty bound to kick or throw a stone at one, and scarcely a minute passes during the whole evening without the yelp of some unfortunate cur. These people seem to enjoy a dog's sufferings, and one soulless peasant who in the course of the evening kicks a half-starved cur so savagely that the poor animal goes into a fit, and after staggering and rolling all over the street falls down as though really dead, is the hero of admiring comments from the crowd, who watch the creature's sufferings with delight. 
seeing who can get the most telling kicks at the dogs seems to be the regular evening's pastime among the male population of eskibaba unbelievers and everybody seems interested and delighted when some unfortunate animal comes in for an unusually severe visitation a rush mat on the floor of the stable is my bed to-night with a dozen unlikely-looking natives to avoid the close companionship of whom i take up my position in dangerous proximity to a donkey's hind legs and not six feet from where the same animal's progeny is stretched out with all the abandon of extreme youth precious little sleep is obtained for fleas innumerable take liberties with my person a flourishing colony of swallows inhabiting the roof keeps up an incessant twittering and toward daylight two muezzins one on the minaret of each of the two mosques nearby begin calling the faithful to prayer and howling allah allah with the voices of men bent on conscientiously doing the duty by making themselves heard by every mussulman for at least a mile around robbing me of even the short hour of repose that usually follows a sleepless night it is raining heavily again on sunday morning in fact the last week has been about the rainiest that i ever saw outside of england and considering the state of the roads south of eskibaba the prospects look favourable for a sunday's experience in an interior turkish village men are solemnly squatting around the benches of the mehana smoking nargiles and sipping tiny cups of thick black coffee and they look on in wonder while i devour a substantial breakfast but whether it is the novelty of seeing a cycler feed or the novelty of seeing anybody eat as i am doing thus early in the morning i am unable to say for no one else seems to partake of much solid food until about noontide all the morning long people swarming around are importuning me with bean 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 monsieur the bicycle is locked up in a rear chamber and thrice i accommodatingly fetch it out and endeavour to appease their curiosity by riding along a hundred yard stretch of smooth road in the rear of the mehana but their importunities never for a moment cease finally the annoyance becomes so unbearable that the proprietor takes pity on my harassed head and after talking quite angrily to the crowd locks me up in the same room with the bicycle iron bars guard the rear windows of the houses at eskibaba and ere i am fairly stretched out my mat several swarthy faces appear at the bars and several voices simultaneously join in the dread chorus of bean 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 monsieur bean bean compelling me to close in the middle of a hot day the rain having ceased about ten o'clock the one small avenue of ventilation in the stuffy little room a moment's privacy is entirely out of the question for even with the window closed faces are constantly peering in eager to catch even the smallest glimpse of either me or the bicycle fate is also against me to-day plainly enough for ere i have been imprisoned in the room an hour the door is unlocked to admit the mulazim lieutenant of gendarmes and two of his subordinates with long cavalry swords dangling about the legs after the manner of the turkish police in addition to puzzling the sluggish brains about my passport my strange means of locomotion and my affairs generally they have now it seems exercised their minds up to the point that they ought to interfere in the matter of my revolver but first of all they want to see my wonderful performance of riding a thing that cannot stand alone after i have favoured the gendarmes and the assembled crowd by riding once again they return the compliment by tenderly escorting me down to police headquarters where after spending an hour or so in examining my passport they place that document and my revolver in their strong box and lackadaisically wave me adieu 
Upon returning to the Mehana, I find a corpulent pasha, and a number of particularly influential Turks awaiting my reappearance, with the same diabolical object of asking me to be in Bain. Soon afterward come the two Mohammedan priests with the same request, and certainly not less than half a dozen times during the afternoon do I bring out the bicycle and ride, in deference to the insatiable curiosity of the sure enough unspeakable Turk. And every separate time my audience consists not only of the people personally making the request, but of the whole gesticulating male population. The proprietor of the Mehana kindly takes upon himself the office of apprising me when my visitors are people of importance, by going through the pantomime of swelling his features and form up to a size corresponding in proportion relative to their importance. The process of inflation, in the case of the Pasha, being quite a wonderful performance for a man who is not a professional contortionist. Once during the afternoon I attempt to write, but I might as well attempt to fly for the Mehana is crowded with people who plainly have not the slightest conception of the proprieties. Finally a fez is wantonly flung by an extra enterprising youth at my ink bottle, knocking it over, and but for its being a handy contrivance out of which the ink will not spill, it would have made a mess of my notes. Seeing the uselessness of trying to write, I meander forth, and into the leading mosque, and without removing my shoes, tread its sacred floor for several minutes, and stand listening to several devout Mussulmans reciting the Koran aloud. For be it known, the great fast of Ramadan has begun, and fasting and prayer is now the faithful Mussulmans' daily lot for thirty days, his religion forbidding him either eating or drinking from early morn till close of day. After looking about the interior, I ascend the steep spiral stairway up to the minaret balcony, whence the muezzin calls the faithful to prayer five times a day. As I pop my head out through the little opening leading to the balcony, I am slightly taken aback by finding that small footway already occupied by the muezzin, and it is a fair question as to whether the muezzin's astonishment at seeing my white helmet appear through the opening is greater or mine at finding him already in possession. However, I brazen it out by joining him, and he, like a sensible man, goes about his business just the same, as if nobody were about. The people down in the streets look curiously up and call one another's attention to the unaccustomed sight of a white-helmeted cycler and a muezzin upon the minaret together. But the fact that I am not interfered with in any way goes far to prove that the Mussulman fanaticism that we have all heard and read about so often has well nigh flickered out in European Turkey. Moreover, I think the Eskibabans would allow me to do anything in order to place me under obligations to be in bean whenever they ask me. At nine o'clock I begin to grow a trifle uneasy about the fate of my passport and revolver, and proceeding to the police barracks formally demand their return. Nothing has apparently been done concerning either one or the other since they were taken from me for the mulazim who is lounging on a divan smoking cigarettes produces them from the same receptacle he consigned them to this afternoon and lays them before him clearly as mystified and perplexed as ever about what he ought to do i explain to him that i wish to depart in the morning and gendarmes are dispatched to summon several leading eskibabans for consultation in the hope that some of them or all of them put together might perchance arrive at a satisfactory conclusion concerning me the great trouble appears to be that, while I got the passport wised at Sofia and Philippopolis, I overlooked Adrianople, and the Eskibaba officials, being in the vilayet of the latter city, are naturally puzzled to account for this omission. 
and from what I can gather of their conversation, some are advocating sending me back to Adrianople, a suggestion that I straight away announced my disapproval of by again and again calling their attention to the wise of the Turkish Consul General in London, and giving them to understand, with much emphasis, that this wise answers for every part of Turkey, including the Vilayet of Adrianople. The question then arises as to whether that has anything to do with my carrying a revolver, to which I candidly reply that it has not, at the same time pointing out that I have just come through Serbia and Bulgaria, countries in which the Turks consider it quite necessary to go armed, though in fact there is quite as much, if not more, necessity for arms in Turkey, and that I have come through both Mustafa Pasha and Adrianople without being molested on account of the revolver all of which only seems to mystify them the more and make them more puzzled than ever about what to do finally a brilliant idea occurs to one of them being nothing less than to shift the weight of the dreadful responsibility upon the authoritative shoulders of a visiting pasha an important personage who arrived in eskibaba by carriage about two hours ago and whose arrival i remember caused quite a flurry of excitement among the natives the pasha is found surrounded by a number of bearded turks seated cross-legged on a carpet in the open air, smoking narglays and cigarettes, and sipping coffee. This pasha is fatter and more unwieldy, if possible, than the one for whose edification I rode the bicycle this afternoon, noticing which all hopes of being created a pasha upon my arrival at Constantinople naturally vanish, for evidently one of the chief qualifications for a pashalik is obesity, a distinction to which continuous cycling in hot weather is hardly conducive. The Pasha seems a good-natured person, after the manner of fat people generally, and straightway bids me be seated on the carpet, and orders coffee and cigarettes to be placed at my disposal, while he examines my case. In imitation of those around me, I make an effort to sit cross-legged on the mat, but the position is so uncomfortable that I am quickly compelled to change it, and I fancy detecting a merry twinkle in the eye of more than one silent observer at my inability to adapt my posture to the custom of the country. I scarcely think the Pasha knows anything more about what sort of a looking document an English passport ought to be, than does the Mulazim and the leading citizens of Eskibaba. But he goes through the farce of critically examining the wise of the Turkish Consul General in London, while another Turk holds his lighted cigarette close to it, and blows from it a feeble glimmer of light. Plainly the Pasha cannot make anything more out of it than the others, for many a Turkish Pasha is unable to sign his own name intelligibly, using a seal instead but probably with a view of favourably impressing those around him, he asks me first if I am an Englishman, and then if I am a baron, doubtless thinking that an English baron is a person occupying a somewhat similar position in English society to that of a pasha in Turkish, that is, a really despotic sway over the people of his district. For although there are law and lawyers in Turkey today, the pasha, especially in country districts, is still an all-powerful person, practically doing as he pleases to the first question i return an affirmative answer the latter i pretend not to comprehend but i cannot help smiling at the question and the manner in which it is put seeing which the pasha and his friends smile in response and look knowingly at each other as though thinking ah he is a baron but don't intend to let us know it whether the self-arrived decision influences things in my favour i hardly know but anyhow, he tosses me my passport, and orders the mulazim to return my revolver, and as I mentally remark the rather jolly expression of the pasha's face, I am inclined to think that instead of treating the matter with the ridiculous importance attached to it by the mulazim, 
and the other people, he regards the whole affair in the light of a few minutes' acceptable diversion. The Pasha arrived too late this evening at Eskibaba to see the bicycle. Will I allow a gendarme to go to the Mehana and bring it for his inspection? I will go and fetch it myself, I explain, and in ten minutes the fat Pasha and his friends are examining the perfect mechanism of an American bicycle, by the light of an American kerosene lamp, which has been provided in the meantime. Some of the onlookers who have seen me ride today suggested to the Pasha that I been been, and the Pasha smiles approvingly at the suggestion. But by pantomime I explained to him the impossibility of riding owing to the nature of the ground and the darkness, and am really quite surprised at the readiness with which he comprehends and accepts the situation. The Pasha is very likely possessed of more intelligence than I have been giving him credit for. Anyhow, he has in ten minutes proved himself equal to the situation, which the Mulazim and several prominent Eskibabans have puzzled their collective brains over for an hour in vain, and after he has inspected the bicycle and resumed his cross-legged position on the carpet, I doff my helmet to him and those about him and return to the Mehana, well satisfied with the turn affairs have taken. End of section. Recording by Sudeshna.